Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Silver and I believe that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. I believe entrepreneurs are consistently changing that world and we always will be. So with this show I will bring you the people and ideas with tools necessary to hack your growth in your business and your life. Together let's ask the world's biggest question, build businesses to solve them, and live happy and fulfilling lives in the process. It's time to evolve. Hey everyone, welcome to Evolve. Today's guest is a speaker, coach, and trainer on one of the most misunderstood languages of our time, nonverbal communication. Certified by the Science of People and the infamous Human Behavior Lab in Portland, Oregon, which has taught hundreds of thousands of people about the fascinating science of body language and people skills. And he's even conducted research on how to win on the TV show Shark Tank. Working with networking groups, entrepreneurs, government organizations, and high-performing professionals, today's guest has been said to come with a talent and knowledge that will inspire anyone to reach their full potential and master their presence from the inside out. She has presented or trained thousands across the Pacific Northwest at events including Payscale, Merck Pharmaceuticals, Network of Executive Women, PDX Mindshare, University of Oregon, and countless others. Her ability to help other entrepreneurs get their body in alignment with their words came after being an introvert, having left the world of accounting, the antithesis of people skills, and moving across the country to start from scratch. Chasing the freedom of of entrepreneurship, she ended up meeting up with the founder of uh, the Science of People and falling in love with the communication of people through body language. Spending five years in the startup trenches, she moved from the community manager all the way up to business operations and working with 150 trainers uh, across six continents and in their body language certification program, all before striking it out on her own. So I'm honored to welcome the unprofessional writer, but professional pizza lover, body <laughs> language coach and expert, Danielle Baker. Hello, Brandon. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I feel ooh, a little warm from that introduction. So lovely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's really good to have you on. I really loved our last discussion that we had on the summit. You had brought a lot of value. And so I thought it would be perfect to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in and, and geek out on body language, one of my favorite topics. Yeah. So let's uh, talk a little bit about your story for people that don't know you. And Tell us about when you left the, you know, the corporate accounting world and went to the other side of the country. Like what, what were you after and what were you like sort of running away from? Oh, that, that's an interesting way to put it. And I do think I was running away from something. So I did a business degree in college. I minored in accounting and I was working a gig in Gainesville, Florida, sort of using accounting, sort of using some business mm-hmm. acumen and it was fine. Um, And I think that I had always considered myself this kind of person that once I decided on a path, that was the path that I was going to follow. And it's a very stubborn mentality. I thought it was very goal oriented, but in hindsight, it's it's kind of a stubborn way to look at things. So my husband got a job out here in Portland, Oregon. And when we moved out, it was really the first time in my life that whatever plan I had set for myself was kind of shaky. Um, I mm. didn't have a job waiting for me out here. And it was actually a kind of one of those tipping point moments where I knew this might be the first time in my life that I have an opportunity to make a pivot in my career. And I don't necessarily have to do this thing that I actually wasn't that passionate about to begin with. Right. I came out here, I applied to a bunch of different jobs and I ended up uh, getting a retail gig. And at first I 
was kind of hard on myself and down about it. Like, man, I have a college degree and now I'm folding shirts. What's wrong with me? (laughs) Um, And that was, you know, kind of a, a, a down um, point in my life where I was just really hard on myself about my accomplishments. And I thought, you know what, I thought I had come so far in my sort of journey. And now I feel like I'm just taking steps backward. Mm. So I sort of had this like come to Jesus moment with myself Mm. where, you know, I said, I'm going to make this retail experience the best that I can. And I made a lot of really great friends from that. And in the meantime, I'm going to start pursuing some other things, start pursuing my own creativity. I never considered myself a creative person. I thought only certain people were born to be creative, but I started kind of testing out that lie I had been telling myself and realized, you know what, I actually am pretty creative. Mm -hmm. I started pursuing uh, more entrepreneurial ventures and participated in a startup weekend here in Portland where you grab a bunch of friends and you form teams to start what could potentially be a real business. And they have real investors there who are championing people who are interested in entrepreneurship and startups. And it's actually a really cool experience. And that's where I got connected with Science of People. And it was this moment where I read someone's job description and I thought, oh my God, someone can actually have this job. Someone can be a behavioral investigator. Like someone can be doing human lie detection and using their observation for good and to serve this greater purpose. It was really the first time that I realized there could be a different story for me. Mm. It didn't have to be, yeah, I went to business school and did something businessy. You know, it didn't have to be like, I really hated accounting, but I got this like minor and, you know, now I have to follow this path. I couldn't create whatever story for myself that I wanted to. And that was such an awakening for me. And being here in Portland where it's so collaborative and people are so supportive, I was able to, to pursue something that I really knew nothing about aside from people watching in the mall, like with my mom. Yeah. Like what, what, what's their story? Hmm, What are they thinking? Kind of a thing, but actually make a legitimate career from it has been very serendipitous and exciting every single day that I've gotten to do it. Yeah. So what drew you to like entrepreneurship and startups? Because obviously you went to that first startup weekend. What was the drive to go to that before you started the, the body language? Yeah, it, I think the freedom was really attractive. Like the mm-hmm. idea that you could be interested in something that wasn't your day job. Right. Like you could still have, you know, a day job or or this security financially, um, you know, you're getting a paycheck every week, but then you could also kind of be thinking a little differently about something else entirely. Mm -hmm. That was something that's, that felt really new to me. Florida is not really known for its entrepreneurs. (laughs) Like it's sort of like you do what you were sort of told to do or what you kind of established for yourself. So I was just really interested by the creativity of entrepreneurs here in Portland of the idea that I could think differently about something. I could pursue a different path. And there's just this energy surrounding entrepreneurship. And I'm sure Brandon, you feel that every single day doing what you love. It's just this palpable thing of man, this is exciting. This is interesting. This is different. And I think that's what drew me to that scene to begin with was just this different kind of feeling and vibe that I hadn't felt before that I just wanted more of. Yeah. And so you got hooked up with Vanessa Van Edwards there. You fell in love with her startup. What was it like to be working in that arena? Yeah, it it was amazing. I remember I told her when we met for coffee the first time, I'm like, I will scrub your toilets. Like I just... (laughs) like a part of this right 
and a part of this brand and story. And so I was the, the first employee hired with Science of People. Um, I actually recently departed there, but I had an amazing five years learning about body language and nonverbal communication, really being in the trenches, like you said, of a startup. Mm -hmm which I really like. I, I like wearing multiple hats. I like being a voice for bigger picture strategy. I like being the technician and actually doing a lot of the work. I like being mm -hmm. in the community and, and talking to the people who are buying our products or who are supporting our mission. And I don't think you necessarily always get that if you're working for you know, a big corporate place or a really big business. I think your own personal voice can get lost in the masses. So it felt really exciting to be a part of something really from the ground up. Yeah. What, what would you say was like the biggest takeaway that you took from those five years in that startup phase? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I took away is the, is the one-on-one -on -one relationships. That it doesn't matter how much money you're making as a business. It doesn't matter how small or big your team is. It's still incredibly crucial to provide that human element. So, you know, I worked remotely for five years, which, mm. you know, kind of took a toll on me. I think sometimes I felt a little socially isolated, um, but it was really nice to be able to still feel like I could build a community online with our students to be able to, you know, chat with them over video or um, support our trainers with feedback videos or even, you know, emailing students who are interested in a course, being able to create those relationships, even from the computer. I think that's what's just amazing about the world we live in today. Technology makes it efficient and easy to have relationships with people all over the world and being able to have a community of people from all over to learn from them to see how you know people started from you know a thousand different places and then somehow ended up in the same course was always so fascinating to me to see how people's kind of stories all came together in this one place yeah and so it's really funny because it's a, a business focusing in on body language which would be you would think is like a in-person, you know, connection uh, language there. How did that play out online when you were working with a team and then working with students and, um, you know, teaching them th these things? Yeah, it's like, whew, sometimes next level observation, right? When you're mm -hmm. with someone in person, it's easier to, um, you know, kind of like see an arm crossed, right? Or see like right. a defensive kind of or a closed off pose. It's easier to read facial expressions. Um, you can see someone's happy or, you know, they're upset. Right. So, it, it was kind of one of those things where I had to get really good at almost reading through the lines, like reading mm -hmm. in someone's email, if maybe they were using a lot of exclamation points in an email, and then all of a sudden became a lot shorter and they were using periods instead. That's actually a shift in, in, in tone, even though it's mm -hmm. over email, it's still a difference in how someone is coming across. So almost looking for those changes um, and also trying to use video as much as possible. Right, um, yeah. Getting on the phone with someone as much as possible because a lot of the times communication and tone and meaning and intention gets totally and completely lost via text and via written communication. I mean, for example, like anytime I text my dad, I send him like really long flowery messages and then he'll just say, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, like no <laughs> smiley face, no punctuation, just okay. And that could be like, okay, that could be okay. You know, it's like, it could mean so many different versions of okay. So being in that kind of environment where I was primarily communicating with people in that written form, it was important for me to always make sure I was at least aware of my own personal 
vocal tone coming across that I was always being, you know, pleasant and supportive um, and that I was always that person that could be reached and that I was kind of that listening ear for them whenever they needed it. Mm, yeah. So let's dive into body language a little bit and talk about, well, first of all, why you find this, you know, so important and why you've sort of made it your mission to help people share their story through body language. I find that really fascinating. Absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned, I've, I've always liked watching people and it sounds stalker-ish when I say that, <laughs> but I mean it in a very good, well-meaning way, but literally like my mom and I would go to the mall, we would get a lemonade and a soft pretzel and we would sit on a bench and we would, we would kind of watch people walk by and, and just, I didn't know it at the time that I was looking at their body language, but that's what it was. You know, I was seeing kind of how they walked or how their posture was or how they were communicating with their friend or their kid and feeling like I was able to make an impression of them or at least get a glimpse into what their story was. So I've always been kind of that more like sit back, watch what's going on. I pick up on very nuanced things. Like my husband makes fun of me because like I will pick out something or remember some like very, very minute detail about something. So I've always mm -hmm. been a natural observer. And when I started learning about body language, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is what was waiting for me, right? This was kind of right. this career where I can actually get paid to do this thing that I just was doing for fun. Right. <laughs> so I, I am a firm believer that nonverbal communication is how we actually change the game of our interactions. And I mean our business interactions and our personal interactions. It, it is seeing someone and some space and some interaction in an entirely new and different way because you're actually seeing someone's full communication. So mm. research found that at a minimum, 60% of our communication is nonverbal. So that's the majority. Mm -hmm. and we go through most of our lives on what we say, right? What did I say in this email? What did I say on my resume? What did I say in this pitch? What did I say in this sales meeting? You know, yada, yada. But we don't really think about how we're saying that. You know, how did those words come across? Did they come across as warm, competent, angry, friendly? You know, there, there's so many ways that we can say something. And many of us are completely unaware of what that's like. So me having the opportunity to get to not only examine my own relationships and interactions a little bit differently, I can teach people how to do that and to really level up themselves by focusing more intently and meaningfully and authentically on someone else. And it, it really does change even the small trivial conversations like with a cashier at Safeway, like it changes things. And I think it helps us show up better. It helps us show up in a way where we're actually paying attention to the world around us and things become less confusing, right? It's like, if someone's like, I'm fine, you don't necessarily take that at face value, right? right. It's like, okay, you know, it, I'm hearing something not so fine. I'm seeing something not so fine. Let's dive into that a little bit. So it helps with uncovering some of those hidden emotions. Yeah. And I think, you know, they always say like communication is the key cornerstone of any relationship, whether it's personal or business or not. And with 60% of it being like in your body, if you don't understand how to read that, like you're losing a lot and you're going to have a breakdown in communication. Um, and I, exactly. yeah, yes. And I think that we don't spend like enough time being taught that ever, you know, it's not like we had a class in school that was like, hey, here's communication and here's body language and we're going to focus in on that. So I think it's really important that, you know, people like you are out there teaching this stuff. 
Well, thank you. And I totally agree. It's a big problem that we're not taught this in school. Mm. Like I have a lot of qualms with the modern education system, but it's things like we learn like calculus too, but we, we aren't taught like how to write a check. Those right. kinds of things, there are so many real world things that we aren't being taught. And so if we're, you know, some of us are lucky that our, you know, parent or our guardian or a person that raised us taught us things like manners or making eye contact or that you should shake hands when you meet someone. Some of us aren't taught those things growing up. And so many of us are kind of, you know, floating around, hoping that we're doing the right things, hoping that we're saying the right thing, hoping that we're not like the most awkward person in (laughs) the room. Um, So my, my personal goal is that I can share at least, you know, one to three tidbits of body language knowledge that helps someone feel more empowered when they walk into a room. Mm, Yeah. Well, let's get into some of those tactics and speaking to our entrepreneurs, what do you think are some big ones that entrepreneurs should know as they conduct business both and in their personal life as well? Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorite things to start with is first impressions. Um, You know, it has first in it and it's really the, first thing we should be thinking about when it comes to our nonverbal communication. And it's funny because I I ask this question a lot to people that I work with. And the question is, how many of you have heard make a good first impression? Right. Your first impression matters. And literally like 99.9% of the people raise their hands. And what's interesting about that is we're told that, but we're not given any other instructions. It's like, make a good first impression. Good luck. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, how do you actually do that? Right. We're just like, okay, um, so what exactly does that mean? So there's been a lot of research done on actually kind of digging deeper into first impressions, making it seem a little less vague, a little less mysterious. And I have a fun acronym for your audience to remember about first impressions, and it is pain, because first impressions can be painful. Right. (laughs) I'm sure we all had that that time where we made a really stinky first impression. Um, So the acronym pain, the first word, the P is permanent. And that means that it is very difficult for our brain to actually change the impression that we've made of someone. Mm -hmm. So I think someone is cute or funny or upset or um, closed off or exciting, you know, whatever that word is that I come up with, that is kind of the word that I lock them in as. So it's important that we think about the impression that we're making literally everywhere. So something that I keep in mind for my own first impression, it doesn't necessarily start The second that I walk up on stage, it could start in the elevator if someone sees me or literally like in the hallway from my hotel room or getting out of my car and walking into the building. So sometimes we think like we turn our first impression on like when it matters, right? Like we turn on our slide deck to start our pitch. We walk into the networking room, but it, but it often starts way before that. It can happen in the bathroom. Like you never know when you're going to meet a VIP or decision maker or, you know, that person that's going to be in your audience as an investor. Right. So true. Yeah. So you always want to make sure, not that you have to be, you know, like super over analytical about yourself, but just being mindful that your first impression can happen anywhere, anytime. That's the permanent piece of it. Next is it's accurate. So that's the A of pain. And research has found that our first impressions are 75% accurate, meaning that if I make an impression of you, you know, when I, you know, first met you or first, you know, saw you online, and if you were to ask me two years later, you know, what, what did I think of you? 75% of the time, that's the same. So how, how I think of you years later is the same as that, that first encounter. So again, first impressions, they're happening, um, 
kind of in our brain, they're staying there and they are typically um, accurate even when we learn more about someone. So sometimes we think, you know, oh, I want to spend an hour with someone and, you know, maybe that will change my mind. Typically doesn't. Hmm. Uh, next is I, it happens immediately. So our first impressions in person happen within seven seconds. So within seven seconds, I've made an impression of you and we are all doing that every time we meet someone. And it's actually happening even faster digitally. So research has found that we make a digital first impression in less than a second. <laughs> so this is really important for your social profiles. So even yeah. like your LinkedIn photos. So if I'm going through, you know, scrolling through a bunch of people's LinkedIn photos, when I see their photo, I've made an impression of them. Mm -hmm. Same can go for your business card or your, you know, Twitter headline. So kind of taking a moment to even do a digital audit to see, okay, is my digital impression the same or consistent with my in-person impression? Are there any, you know, tweaks I need to make there? Right. And then the final piece of pain is N and that is nonverbal. So your first impression is entirely based on your nonverbal, not your verbal. And there was an interesting study done by Frank Bernary. He had students do mock interviews. And basically what happened is he had a student do a full length interview, you know, walking down the hall, shaking hands, sitting down, having your behavioral style interview. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Right. And then he, he gave these interviews to a group of evaluators and he asked them, I want you to rate these students in three areas. How warm is the student? like how friendly they are, how competent, like how intelligent, dependable, and how confident they are. Mm -hmm. He did something really interesting. He shrunk the interviews that he had filmed to just a 20 second clip. So all it showed was that same student walking in, shaking hands and sitting down. Mm -hmm. And that was it. So he gave these little mini interview clips to a different group of evaluators, with the same instructions. And then for each student at the end of the experiment, he gathered the two evaluations and he found that they were rated exactly the same. Wow. So it didn't, you don't need to necessarily ask someone about their strengths, weaknesses, tell me about you to form an impression. Sometimes it's based on an entrance in a room. Often it's a smile, a handshake, the type of eye contact that you made. So again, that my, my takeaway here is being mindful of your first impression. How are you showing up digitally and in person? And how can you empower yourself to show up in the way that you want to, not necessarily the way that you've always been doing it? Yeah, this makes me think that, uh, you know, having the sort of right impression and that right sort of like elevator pitch, not only in what you say, but in how you're showing up um, is going to be super crucial uh, because, you know, even if they just showed a small clip of how these people were showing up for an interview versus like a full interview and they still had the same impression, right. it's really important to get that little mini snapshot the best that you can. Exactly. Exactly right. And that might be a video of you online. Mm -hmm. um, that might be you walking into the room. There, there's lots of ways that that can happen. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about if you are going to do a pitch or you're going to have a presentation as an entrepreneur and you're presenting in front of people. What are some tips to have your you know, nonverbals show up just as powerful as what you're presenting? Yeah, so a big one for presentation skills is something called fronting. So this is actually how we angle our bodies in space. Um, what typically happens is we are actually not entirely fronting when we are in conversations or when we're giving a presentation. Oftentimes, we're actually sometimes angled completely mm -hmm. away. I see this most often when there are slides. 
Mm-hmm. Slides can be amazing, right? Especially if you have a technical or a complex process or you have a, a sales video or you want to show your product in action. Oftentimes that can be on a slide deck. But what typically will happen is the person will start presenting and then slowly but surely. Right. Looking at it. Slides instead of to their audience. So you always want to make sure that you are fully engaged. And the reason for that is people get distracted so easily. <laughs> Right. It's like the second that someone feels like you aren't talking to them, it's like, uh, all right, well, let me check my Twitter mm-hmm. or let me post on Instagram or, you know, let me follow up on this email kind of thing. So you always want to make sure that you are keeping attention as much as you can. And the best way to do that is by actually continuing to face your audience. Now, if you're in a big room, you want to make sure that each person in the room feels like you are talking to them, that they are a part of your presentation. So you can actually think of making eye contact in a figure eight. So you would Mm -hmm. start here kind of in the left corner of the room, then you would go back then circle back to the middle, then back right, then front right, then again. So it's kind of this figure eight. You don't necessarily have to look at every single person in the room. You know, if there's like a thousand people, that would would be a lot of eye contact. That would be really distracting to your message. But when you actually make that figure eight to the people in the audience, it actually feels like you are looking at them because you're hitting Mm. all parts of the room. Same goes for working your stage. I never like to stay in one spot unless I have to, right? Unless I have to use a podium microphone or I have to stay here because of a speaker. If you have a stage, you want you want to use your space. Again, that helps you feel engaged with your audience and they, they feel like you're talking to them. They feel like they're a part of your presentation and mission. Mm-hmm. I think this comes down to, you know, one of the basic things as humans, eye contact is obviously really huge. And you feel more intimate, like when somebody is actually looking at you, talking to you. Um, And I think we sort of just forget that when we're on stage, like it's a different environment. But the reality is, is like, if you're actually making eye contact with them, you're fronting them, you're showing them yourself, um, you're going to make that more intimate connection. And then the words that you're saying are going to have a lot heavier hit. A hundred percent. That's absolutely right. And there's a chemical reason for that called oxytocin. So when we mutually gaze with someone, meaning we're looking at them and they're looking at us, it floods our brain with oxytocin. It's a connection hormone. It's like a, we call it, nickname it the cuddle hormone, but it's for platonic and romantic relationships. It helps us to feel more connected. And you know, you'll notice if you're ever talking with someone and they aren't making eye contact with you, you feel like a little disjointed from them. Like they're not hearing you. You're like, okay, like what's happening here? Um, that's because we crave that eye contact and we can do that really well at the front of the room or on stage to feel connected to our audience. One thing that I always do from stage, because I still feel nervous when I go up and do talks. And even though it's like, I've done this talk a thousand times, (laughs) I still get, you know, little butterflies. I will find the people in the audience that are giving me great nonverbal feedback. So that's someone that's sitting in a head tilt, maybe with a soft smile. Mm -hmm. Anyone that's nodding at you, nodding is an affirmative nonverbal. That means I like what I'm hearing. Oh, I'm interested. Tell me more. So I always find those little, I call them encouragers in my audience. And that make that actually calms me. I'm like, okay, what I'm saying makes sense. I'm not sounding completely you know, stupid up here. Right. I'll look for those people in the audience. Of course, you know, being mindful of everyone else and giving them attention, but I kind of focus my attention there just to give me that kind of calming release of, okay, I, I'm doing the right thing. I'm saying, you know, at least partially the right thing. And someone um, is kind of on board with what I'm saying. I think that's really important for entrepreneurs. If you feel nervous, if you are 
doing this pitch for the first time, if you're trying out um, maybe some new material or a new joke or a new way to sell your product or your idea, looking for those people in your audience that are giving you that nonverbal encouragement is always really helpful. Yeah, I think that's powerful too, because then you're going to connect with them if you, you know, you're looking more at them. And those are the people that you're probably now talking more to anyway. So if I'm thinking about, you know, doing a pitch to investors um, and I have one of them giving me those affirmative nonverbals, like they are probably the one that's going to invest in me, invest in my product. And so now as I speak, like I'm going to speak more powerfully to them. Absolutely. Like I always actually watch on Shark Tank. I try to guess which investor is going to, um, what is it, make a, what would you call that? Make a bid or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember what they call it on there, but yeah, you, they're like, going like, to invest, invest in them. Like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll give you a, I'm forgetting that word. I'll give you a whatever. And I always try to guess based on their body language. Like I'll see, um, you know, uh, Lori, like she, she does like a lot of nodding. Sometimes Mark will actually, because he's typically, I don't know if you've watch a lot, but he's typically like very relaxed, kind of lean back. Mm. But when he's interested, he'll actually kind of shimmy up and sometimes lean forward and put his hand underneath his chin. Mm. So I think that that's a great idea with investment when there's money involved is it's hard for us not to show in our body language when we are interested and when we like something. Right. So you can kind of look for those affirmatives. Um, leaning in is another one. So if someone's kind of getting closer to you, they like what you're saying. They like what you're about. If you see a lean back and kind of an arm crossed, that is often a defensive. It's a distancing behavior. So maybe something you said turned them off. So kind of looking for that body language, you can actually adjust your pitch on the fly to maybe pause for questions or to kind of um, go back and um, you know, provide some clarification on something that you mentioned based on what you're seeing in real time. Yeah. And I, I mean, it goes back to like, these things aren't just in the business world because these are the same, you know, sort of cues that you get, like when you're out on a date with somebody, if they're interested in what you're talking about, you know, they're facing you more, they're leaning in, you're getting more eye contact. Um, if the date's not going well, yeah, you're going to see them disconnect. They're going to lean back. It's the same cues, um, just in a business context now. Uh, totally. And I always recommend for people who are just starting their deep dive into nonverbal is to do some low pressure observational practice. So yeah, if you're on a first date or you're out with friends or you're hanging out like with your family for, you know, a get together, see what you can find. You know, I always like to have a little notebook. Sometimes I'll take notes of things that I saw, um, you know, or I'm kind of, you know, keep a, a running tally in my head of how many times I saw contempt. One head of mouth raise. Um, so you can kind of even start small of, you know, I want to see how many times I see genuine happiness or how many times I see someone cross their arms and kind of starting to get the brain moving and thinking in that way. That way, when you go into something more high pressure, like a pitch, you've already started seeing some of those things, right? And you can see, ah, I see this lean back and an arm cross. Hmm, I saw my uncle Joe did that when, um, you know, Aunt Janie was talking about Donald Trump, you know, kind of using the patterns that we've seen in our low pressure life with family and friends and our personal relationships and then apply those in the business setting. 
Yeah. One of the things that I love about, you know, we were talking about before being online and having communities come together is a lot of times when you do like these mastermind events or whatever on Zoom, you get a bunch of little faces just all together. And I've sat back before and just sort of watched all the faces like I'll hear a speaker say something. I'm like, oh, I want to go look at all their faces now because I want to see how it landed. And I will see people like some people like get really into it and they're all nodding their heads. Then other people, you can see that they what that person just said did not land well with them. Oh yeah. It's amazing. So, um, with, when I was at science of people, we always did office hour calls and sometimes you would specifically plan to say something either shocking or surprising just for the reaction value. And mm -hmm. we would actually, cause we always had them recorded. So we would go back and watch them, you know, it'd be like, all right, we said this at 14 minutes and 16 seconds. Let's see. Right. This and take little screenshots. This is a representation of how people's reactions happen so quickly. They happen involuntarily. As much as we think we have a poker face, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I want to dive into a little bit about your values and how you kind of see the world. And so the first one I want to ask is why do you find relationships so valuable? Oh, well, relationships are everything, right? I mean, that I think is the the crux of everything that we do and relationships are super important to me because that's what it comes down to. No matter what I'm doing, I want to have meaningful, fulfilling relationships. I want to be able to give of myself and also to receive of someone's um, love and admiration and, and to really have that kind of dual thing going on. So for me, it's always been more about the people that I'm with and the relationships that I can glean from that much more than the job itself or the company that I'm working for. And I've always tried to kind of see the relationship side of things, even when maybe the organization I'm with isn't as fruitful as I would like it to be. And that was like mm -hmm. Ann Taylor Loft, my retail job is a perfect example. I knew that wasn't the end all be all for me. I knew I didn't want to be like CEO of Ann Taylor one day, it was just kind of this interim position. But when I flipped it in my mind of, you know what, this is a great place for me to meet girlfriends, you know, and friends and people that I can um, buy cute clothes with and go out to happy hour with. That was a really nice shift for me because it became about the relationships, not about the job. Mm -hmm. So I think if we can do that no matter where we're at and to, and to form relationships genuinely, not just what we can get out of them. Right. And I see that not so much in Portland. I'd say this is such a collaborative, genuine community. But I would see that back home sometimes where you have relationships with people because they owe you a favor or, you know, they're well-connected, yada, yada here. So, well, maybe they can help me one day. And I don't like that mentality of having relationships with people. I don't like the idea of keeping score with people that, you know, we are surrounded with. So I'm always looking for those, again, genuine connections that are collaborative and supportive. Yeah. And I think in the entrepreneur business world, like that happens so often. It's like, what can I get out of this person if I make this connection? And really, you should be going into that, just wanting to have a genuine connection with that person to build a friendship and just, you know, enjoy each other's company for what it is, whether it turns into something or not. And that's usually when things actually do turn into it, because people can like smell when you're basically coming at them just to get something out of them. A hundred percent. And one thing that I actually found interesting too, when I started, you know, hanging out with more entrepreneurs is I was always told, like, if you have a good business idea, don't tell anyone mm -hmm. or only tell your kind of closest trusted cohort. 
But when I moved here, I, I realized this is actually the exact opposite. When you tell people mm -hmm. about your business idea, not only do you get really great feedback, but sometimes you actually have someone who's like, actually, um, I can code that over the weekend if you want me to. I'd love to be a part right. of this. And I feel like sometimes the more ideas that you can get from people, the more that you can actually talk out a business idea and really like flesh that out, you're closer to a better product or idea. So I've sort of moved away from that idea of like keeping things really close to heart. I love sharing ideas that I have for things and hope that, you know, if someone's really interested in being a part of it, then that's even better, right? Mm -hmm. you know, a, another really smart brain or another really creative person on a project to make it bigger and better. Yeah. And so you, you talked about before, um, you know, working for Ann Taylor and basically having those relationships, like you were okay making less money because you had good relationships. So obviously relationships are very important to you, you know, in a business context, but what is it like in your personal life? How important do those show up? And when, you know, those relationships come in conflict with what you're doing in your business or in, you know, your entrepreneur ventures, how do you kind of resolve that conflict? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a heavy question. Um, but one thing that comes to mind is when you study body language, you kind of get one of two reactions. It's either, oh, that's really exciting. I've heard things like facial expressions tell me more, or it's, are you watching me right now? Yeah. <laughs> so that was a little tough um, in some of my personal relationships because I was so excited to start reading people that no one in my circle was safe. Right. I was reading everyone and I wasn't doing a great job of approaching some of the negative cues that I saw in a professional way. Like, for example, you know, if I'd be out to dinner with my husband and I would see him cross his arms or I'd see him make a negative facial expression, I'd be like, why'd you do that? Why are you crossing your arms? Are you upset about something? Are you, are you, did you not like what I said? Tell me more. And he's like, I didn't even know that I did that. And I'm actually just kind of cold. <laughs> so I kind of was so excited in my newfound knowledge of things that I wasn't taking the time to be respectful of my personal relationships. And body language was one of those really touchy things. It's, it's a very vulnerable thing. And so as a trainer and coach, I had to learn to be incredibly mindful of seeing things. And if I wanted to ask follow-up questions, doing that in a respectful, appropriate way, not being like this call out person of why are you doing this? I saw this, you know, this is weird. Tell me more. People don't like that. Uh, yeah. surprisingly yeah. enough people yeah don't. people don't like unsolicited advice and you trying to coach them exactly and that's actually a great way to think about it is that unsolicited advice where yes I do this for my work but I don't necessarily have to bring my work home with me mm. right yeah. I don't necessarily have to give my family and friends advice that they don't want if they ask me about it you know my husband does stand-up comedy so I helped him, you know, kind of with his stage movement. And that was great because he asked for my help and I was able to do that. And it was kind of like, oh, we're like doing business right now. But, but being mindful that it doesn't necessarily cross over and, you know, I'm just being like the jerk that's looking at everyone suspiciously. <laughs> right. Yeah. So one of the things I like to always say is that not only as an entrepreneur do you need to raise like financial capital, but there's a whole lot of other capital you need to raise. Mm -hmm. And one of those is relationship capital, having that support system for yourself when things get, 
you know, really hard because as an entrepreneur, like you're going to get kicked in the face, stuff happens. And so how do you use relationships as fuel for you as an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, so for me personally, I, I always like to um, be mindful of following up and keeping relationships warm. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes what happens is, you know, we'll, we'll be in a relationship with someone professionally and we kind of have this connection, but then once we've sort of parted ways or maybe we have this temporary sort of connection with them, we kind of don't think about them anymore aside from what we see on their LinkedIn profile. Right. But for me, I, I like to be mindful and, and take time to keep a lot of my even past connections fresh and that can be a simple thing of you know messaging someone on Facebook or LinkedIn and asking how they're doing um, or you see that they made an update uh, for example I have this really great contact here in Portland and she invited me to be a speaker very early on in my body language career I had maybe done oh my gosh it was probably the third presentation I had ever done and she was so encouraging of me and believed in me. And it was really funny because she invited me back the next year. And then we kind of went our separate ways. But she was always one of those people that I liked her status updates. And I was just like, oh, I, I, I love that you're doing all these cool things. But it wasn't like we were meeting for dinner or drinks all the time. Right. Well, anywho, she, in the last six months, actually kind of circled back in my life. She switched jobs and she wanted a speaker to come and speak to her um, students at a coding academy that she works at here in Portland. And, you know, it was great because then I was able to get reconnected with her. And now, you know, we've kind of rekindled this flame. So sometimes I think even for me, I'm like, oh, you know, well, I'm not working with this person or maybe they they don't remember me, but you never know when like things can kind of circle back around. And I, I know for me, I have a goal of wanting to be better at initiating some of those things of not feeling like, Oh, I can't reach out to this person or, Oh, I can't say hello. I think everybody likes a hello, you know? And, And so if there's somebody that you've worked with in the past, not necessarily like contacting them again, because you need something or want something from them, but even a simple, like, you know what? I was thinking of you. We haven't chatted in a while. How's your spring looking? How's your summer looking? Um, is this your busy season? Um, you know, is there anything I can help out with? Is there anything I can be um, supporting you on? And I think when we, when we keep those genuine connections going, our network continues to thrive and it's not like things are kind of dying out season by season. You're able to keep things in bloom. Yeah. So one of the daily habits that I have is connecting with someone new and someone old every single day. And when I connect with somebody old, I'm always trying to send them either gratitude, love, or honor. And so basically I'm sending them a thank you of something they did in the past. And it's usually right, like for them, it's right out of the blue. Um, And I know like on the receiving end of that, like if somebody had texted me and was like, you know what, thank you for this thing that, you know, went on that we had this sort of connection or sending them love, like if it's somebody in my family or a friend that needs it that day or whatever, um, it just boosts their mood. And I feel like it helps to keep your network thriving and keep you connected. That is incredible. I might have to steal that. (laughs) Um, No, I, I have goosebumps right now. That is so lovely. And we never know the kind of day someone is having. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I wholly wholeheartedly believe that if we feel someone's name on our hearts or, you know, when you're kind of, you know, starting your day and you, you know, you think of someone that comes to mind, I don't think that the person that comes to mind is a total coincidence. I think it's 
possible that we are led to reach out to someone or provide gratitude to or honor someone that really, really needs it that day. Um, maybe they um, you know, got fired from work or they missed their bus on their commute or there's mm-hmm. oftentimes little and big things that some people are going through. And if we can provide just a little glimmer of gratitude and acceptance to them, I think that's how the world just becomes way, a way more loving place. Yeah. And so one of the questions I have for you is, um, what do you think like the effect of social media and like the digital age has on our relationships? And I Mm -hmm. see like sending that message that checks as a positive way to use digital to enhance our relationships. What do you think about it as a whole? And yeah, I have some really complex feelings about social media. You know, in some respects, it's an absolute incredible resource to stay connected, especially with people from our past and our family. So for example, moving cross country, I don't see my family very often. I might see them twice a year at most, maybe my extended family once a year. And so social media has allowed us to stay very active in each other's lives. You know, I can see, oh, my Aunt Sue and Uncle Jim are at the beach today, (laughs) or, oh, you know, my dad went fishing, or, you know, my grandma's, you know, doing whatever grandma's do. (laughs) And and I'm able to feel like I'm right there with them. And that is incredibly special to me. And and Mm. social media has paved the way for that. On the flip side, um, I was listening to a podcast recently. I think it was a Joe Rogan podcast. And he had, it was either a psychologist or, or some guy on there who was presenting research that, you know, social media is absolutely negatively affecting young people. So especially um, youth in the, I want to say like the 10 to 16 age group where suicide rates are higher and, you know, the cyber bullying and and all of that has taken, you know, such a, such a force in these young people's lives. And for me, I didn't have a Facebook until I was graduating high school. Mm. I have Instagram. I mean, that was like just a few years ago. Right. Yeah. I can't imagine having to go through puberty and all those awkward times while also having to maintain this perfect online image when you're barely surviving, you know, going into school every day. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that there is a danger to social media for young people specifically. And I think, I know for me, I don't have kids yet, but that's something that I'm, I'm thinking about now. Mm-hmm. Before I'm a parent, I want to think about the boundaries that I want to set for my kids as far as social media goes. Um, and think about ways that we can protect our younger generation because that's the most important thing, right? The people that are coming after us, we want them to feel supported. We want them to feel confident. And sometimes social media and oftentimes doesn't provide that for them. So kind of a mixed bag for me. Yeah. What, what kind of lessons would you teach your kids about just communication in general and relationships? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is what you see on social media is most often not an accurate depiction of what is happening behind the scenes. And I think that's the hardest thing for us to understand. I mean, I even have a hard time. Like I'll get into a trap of like being on Instagram and scrolling through just feeling so awful about myself. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, like awful about how I look, awful about, um, you know, my own career, awful about my home. Like there's all of these things where it's just like, you go into this comparison kind of loop. And I can't remember what the exact quote is, but it's something like anytime that you compare, like it's a losing game every time. 
Yeah, nobody wins. <laughs> exactly. Nobody wins when it comes to comparison. So that would be something that I would absolutely instill in, in my kids or, you know, any young people that I come to is, you know, don't use this as your baseline. You know, don't use social media as kind of the end all be all of someone's life. And sometimes I think people who have kind of issues in their real life, their social media might look stellar, right? right. It's like that almost becomes their real life. It's like, if I can just prove to myself that things are all well and good, well, maybe other people will believe that. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm seeing more like uh, there was something I saw earlier this week. It was a lot of women posting like no makeup selfies. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of good movements happening. Exactly. And again, that's a really social media is a great vehicle for that. And mm -hmm. so I feel like we are hopefully getting to a place where social media can become a more authentic place where we can use it to spur conversations where we can use it to genuinely build each other up instead of tearing each other down. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, having social media and playing that comparison game is a huge thing because, you know, we would do it naturally as humans, we already do that. And like, as we're growing up, you know, we were talking about kids earlier. Um, when you go to school, like you have all these people that you're comparing yourself to, but it's like a limited amount. But when you have the internet, it's thousands and thousands of people. And I actually, uh, uh, about two or three months ago, had to delete Instagram off my phone. And then I put the Facebook eradicator. It's a little Chrome plugin um, for Facebook because I caught myself. I was just comparing myself over and over again to other people in my industry, other entrepreneurs. And I'm like, oh, I'm not there yet. They're already crushing it. And I just kept doing that. And I was like, you're A, wasting time and B, like, this doesn't feel good. So why are you doing it? And so I, I had to get rid of those. And you know what? I think a cleanse is the perfect thing to do. <laughs> Actually, I did an Instagram cleanse. It was maybe two months ago. I think I did it for a month. Mm -hmm. And when I, it was such a good thing for me because I realized, you know what? Like, I don't need this. And you come back and you think like you've missed out on all of this stuff and you come back and you realize you've missed absolutely nothing. Right. Like if something really important is happening in the world, someone will let you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, it's not going to be just Instagram that you find out about that. So I think sometimes actually taking a, a full step away, deleting the app off your phone, and it often does come down to that. Like mm -hmm. I started out where I still had the app and I'm like, I'm just not going to open the app. Well, right. then sure enough, I open the app. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. So like, like you said, like using a Chrome extension or deleting it off and just walking away from it, it will be there whenever you decide you want to come back. And if you don't mm -hmm. want to come back, that's a-okay too, but we need to set boundaries for ourselves. We're the only people that can really do that for us as adults. It's not like our parent is like, okay, you know, give me your cell phone. It's bedtime kind of a thing. We have to be really mindful of how we are interacting with our own technology and not letting it completely rule us. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you, this is kind of a loaded question, but how do you truly connect with another person? I think the best way that we connect genuinely with people is by listening to them, by really hearing what they are saying to us. I can't tell you how many times, and I'm really guilty of this, of being in a conversation, thinking about what I want to say next, or well, what's my contribution to this, or right. sometimes inadvertently one-upping someone, or, you know, well, I have a story about this too. It's really important that we take that time to sit back and hear what someone is saying. And sometimes what they're saying is behind their words, mm -hmm. right? So they might be, you know, telling you something, oh, you know, I'm kind of, you know, oh, this thing happened at work, I'm kind of upset. But maybe what they're really saying is, I'm feeling really low self-esteem 
about myself in general. Right. right. So sometimes there's this greater conflict and someone is using, you know, a story or an example as a way to kind of reveal a little bit about that without revealing the whole picture. But I think when we can really listen and, and look for those cues of someone hurting, you know, look for those, those sadness cues um, or those vulnerability metrics, then we can be a better friend. We can be a better partner. We can be a better colleague when we are really, really in tune with what someone is saying, both nonverbally and verbally. Yeah, I think that's why nonverbals are so important because a lot of times those are going to show up. And if you're actually listening, like actually paying attention to what they're saying, you're going to pick up on those and realize that the words that they're saying is not the whole story. And if you are trying to be there for that person, you can, you know, dig a little deeper. Absolutely. (laughs) So before I get to my last question, where can people find you online, learn more about body language, all that good stuff? Yes. So you can find me online. My website is Danielle M as in Mary Baker.com. And if you are interested in coaching or having me come and speak to your group or any kind of professional services, uh, you can learn me about, uh, learn more about me there. And then you can find me on Instagram at Danielle.m.baker. Awesome. All right. So my last question is how can we push the world to evolve? Yeah. Um, so you sent me this question ahead of time. This is mm-hmm. a big one too. So I wrote down just a couple of notes. Um, I think that one of the ways that we can champion evolvement is by genuinely supporting things that are a little bit off the beaten path. And mm-hmm. it was interesting because when I was thinking about my answer to this question, it actually sort of came out organically when you asked me about my story and mm-hmm. realizing I had this path in mind for myself. And thankfully, I was given an opportunity to go somewhere different that was actually more fulfilling and more exciting and actually more of my true path. So I think when we uh, see someone doing something off their own path, that is an opportunity for celebration. It is not an opportunity to shame someone or to you know ask them why they did something differently or decided something differently. We should always be encouraging each other in whatever direction we decide to take. Mm-hmm. So for anyone out there that feels like I have to go into my family's business or I have to do exactly what I got a degree in or you know I had this dream when I was 10, I've told everyone about it. And if I don't follow that, then I'm letting people down. Let's stop those kinds of conversations because no one really knows what they want to be when they grow up. (laughs) And it's almost like, I feel like sometimes that question really messes people up for a long time. Mm -hmm. I remember I told people that I was going to go to law school for a long time, or I was going to be a tax accountant for a long time. Well, neither of those things happened. And guess what? Nobody got hurt. It's all good. It's fine. Um, But I felt a lot of internal shame about that because I felt like I was letting both myself and these other people down because I switched directions or I switched paths. I think that the way that we evolve is, again, encouraging path switches and even redefining different terms. So for example, you know, I used to think that an entrepreneur was someone who started their own business and got up at 4am and went to bed at 3am and, you know, ate ramen noodles and was just like, you know, this crazy workaholic kind of person. Mm -hmm. 
But that's not what I think of as an entrepreneur now. You know, I have a very more evolved version and definition of what that person can look like. And you know how I define entrepreneurship and how I work as an entrepreneur is different, Brandon, how you define and work as an entrepreneur and just like every single other person. I also believe that every single one of us has an entrepreneur inside of us. Mm. That was another lie that I told myself is I'm not meant to have my own business. I'm not meant to be creative. I'm not meant to be a public speaker. All of these things. Well, now I'm doing all of those. So we can, we can redefine ourselves in every single step that we take in every single endeavor that we pursue. We can constantly switch paths and, and redefine our own lives. And hopefully that is really empowering. I know it is for me to feel like I can do anything at any time. And so can you. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much, Danielle. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It is always a joy to chat with you. Brandon, this was such an incredible conversation. I'm so happy that you invited me back. And if I can do anything for you or your audience, if you need anything at all, don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, you. Yes, you. I want to thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, then please open up your podcast app, rate and review. That's really going to help get this life-changing content out to more entrepreneurs just like you who are pushing the world forward. As always, my friend, keep evolving.